Roedd y tu medru teimlo fod yna rhywbeth mwy. Ar cafan ar y munud, oedd cael ei gyffwrdd. Rydw i'n falch dy fod wedi dod mor bell. Rydw i'n falch ohono ti. Derbyn y prawf ola yma, ac fe fyddwn yn wir gyda'n gilydd. How will I know what to do? Ti wastad wedi gwybod. And that was Morfid Clark reciting a bunch of crazy nonsense in Welsh as in her portrayal as the god that speaks to Maud in the movie Saint Maud, which we will be, uh, be reviewing today on this, the current episode of Loathsome Things, a horror movie podcast with your two favorite horror movie podcast hosts, John and Josh. John, how is thou? Uh, I'm doing. I'm doing pretty good uh, and well. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. I'm. Uh, I'm good. doing all right. I guess. Good and plenty. Yeah, I'm doing good and plenty. And, and how about yourself, sir? I have a cold. Hmm. I can't really breathe through my nose. So if I sound funny, yeah. that's my excuse. John, what's your excuse? I'm an idiot. did you switch out microphones you sound very different today i i didn't actually i'm using the same one i'm not sure why that's okay it still sounds good no great amazing oh beautiful oh (laughs) i'm having a mod-like godgasm Oh, yeah, let's come on the stairs. (laughs) Oh, Lord, I feel you in me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, John, let's feel God inside of us together on a couch after working out. So for those of you not familiar, this is Rose Glass's first feature-length film, Rose Glass. Not any sort of a saying or anything like that. Definitely just a real and normal name. Yep. Yep. Uh, this is her first full-length film. Uh, she was previously a prolific short film director in the l- years leading up to this. I would highly recommend you seek out her films Moths, Stormhouse, and Room 55. If you watch those three, you'll be like, oh, I see how she took elements of all that and created like St. Maud with, you know, a, a healthy dose of like brand new stuff. But you're going to see the, uh, the dingy outdated uh, mm. wallpapers. You're going to see like, Oh, what is this appliances from the 1950s? Neat. Um, and also you're going to see a lot of weird um, personal religious iconography being created as part of the thing. It's very strange. Also a lot of strange sexual tension. Like Rose Glass has her own filmmaking language and it is jelly, jelly goodness. (laughs) I didn't, I haven't seen any of her short films. I'm definitely going to have to watch them. It sounds like she kind of took elements from all of them and modified it. Oh shit, I just shit myself. 
her her next film is called Love's Life. Love Lies Bleeding and is currently in pre-production and it will star Kristen Stewart who is trying to become a horror movie darling for all of us that weren't interested in her whenever she liked vampires <laughs> and werewolves. That's correct. Uh, the description for that movie is uh, someone is in a romance fueled by ego, desire, and the American dream. So, okay, that's yeah, yeah, being directed by a uh, directed and written by a British woman. So, oh, they they know us, they've got us. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think we we pretty much spew enough about the American dream that people from elsewhere can be like, Yeah, 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 I got it, I got it. Yeah, our culture is not, it's not a monoculture by any means. No. Um, and if any of you out there can help me find two of her short films, one is called The Silken Strand and the other is called Bath Time. Uh, I have not been able to view those. Those are the only two that are missing. She has also directed several commercials and music videos. So she really likes the short little things, but now she's going feature length and it is glorious. It is glorious. Her cinematic sense is great. Uh, she's got a wonderful eye and uh, she really knows how to trim down a story. I mean, for a first feature, it's, it's what 80 something minutes long. There's really not any wasted time in it. Uh, it gets right to the point that story is told very clearly. Um, what, what she doesn't want, you know, explicit is not explicit. And what she does want explicit is explicit. And uh, you know, it's, it's a very, uh, I don't know. How would you say it's like, it's like a very, uh, I'm trying, I can't think of the word, but it's it's very accomplished for a first time director for a feature very, film anyway. Yeah, very polished. Like yeah. it is, it is an auspicious beginning to what yeah. I assume will be a fantastic and not disappointing career. Yeah, as long as she as long as she keeps true to her her own voice, and you know, I, I think she's got a lot of a lot of good stuff in her. Um, this was a movie that 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 you had brought originally on as as a you know as a we had kind of discussed early on doing this as a as the first movie and i think that eventually i think your decision was that you kind of wanted to hold off because it was a story that that you obviously liked so much that i think you were afraid we might fuck it up as our first our first episode <laughs> not give it the, the, the coverage that we really kind of felt that we could you know yeah absolutely there is also um uh, to listeners that don't know this, I have a personal history of mental unhealth and it related to religion in very specific ways that makes me identify with this movie. And perhaps I watched this movie through rose colored glasses. Oh man, we're on fire today. Oh, it's so good. But uh but yeah, so like I identified with a lot of the things that happened in this movie. It fired off a whole bunch of brain juices inside my noggin and I just fucking love it. So yeah, I wanted to be able to like step back from it like for an example, the first time I watched this movie, I then went ahead and watched it two more times in a row and it was like all before noon. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's not very long, but it definitely re rewards repeated viewing. I mean, it's that's 
there's a lot there to take in. It's not hard to follow, but there's it's you know still some pretty serious subject matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and specifically, the way the movie ends is so like mind blowing that you're like, oh well, obviously I need to watch this again because I was not prepared for that. And watching it again, you're like, okay, I was prepared for that, but it's still goddamn effective. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> It's 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 like the whole movie is dog-eared by these extremely bold credits, which really kind of create this weird feel for the movie because the movie's so atmospheric and moody and glum, kind of. And then you know the the credits are so bold with like these huge letters. Like, <laughs> like, oh, okay, Jesus, all right. Well, I guess so. <laughs> I'm ready. Let's do this. And then it really, I mean, you, you know, if you see the trailer, you could. You know, you kind of have an idea for what you're in for, but, you know, there, there's some real, like, true horror imagery in the film. But it really doesn't play as much as a straight horror film, although it is one. Um, yes. You know, it covers a lot of other ground as well, and, and really well. Yeah, I will say among the A24, this is an A24 production, mm -hmm. among the A24 uh, trailers, this one is the least playing keep away. Like the trailer for this movie is like, oh yeah, this is what you're in for. Get ready. Whereas most A24 trailers is, is there an empty lawn with an apple? Mm? <laughs> what could it mean? Uh, is this lady want to walk through a dark underpass? <laughs> what is that, a synthesizer right here? <laughs> Bop! <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, so more power to Rose Glass. This was amazing. And more power to the star, Morfid Clark, who plays Maud and also plays the voice of God, which you heard just before the two of us started knuckleheading around. Um, her next big upcoming role is going to be as Galadriel in the Amazon Lord of the Rings something or other. Wow. So, yeah, picking up in Kate Blanchett's shoes. That's a, nice. that's a bold move. Yeah. And I think she's probably going to nail it. Yeah, I think she'll be fine. Yeah. You might recognize her from her role in, as I believe, Georgiana in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, it was not worth seeing. I did. <laughs> Excrement. Uh, speaking of Pride and Prejudice, Jennifer Ahill is in this movie. Uh, That's right. Jennifer Ahill. Ahill. I don't know how to pronounce most of the names, um, but it's okay. She is perhaps most famous for her starring role in the 1995 Pride and Prejudice miniseries that she starred in with Colin Kurth. Colin Fallen Kurth. Fallen Kurth. Yes, that guy. Let the curses fall upon thee. And there are also solid contributions from a pair of lilies, Lily Frazier and Lily Knight. Uh, Lily Frazier plays Carol and Lily Knight plays Joy. John, along with the, in the notes, you'll see that I, I put her name in as Joyce several times. Her name is, in fact, Joy. It's just because they're 
so British or whatever, it just sounds like Joyce. Really? Because I put Joyce too. Yeah. Yeah, because wow. it okay. sounds like Joyce. <laughs> oh, hello, Joy. Yeah. Oh, hello, Joyce. <laughs> That's spelled J-O-Y. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, also, a uh, fun one. I haven't seen this in a little bit, but uh, the cockroach's name is Nancy. Oh, how delightful. <laughs> it is delightful. Oh. <laughs> And, uh, John, I wanted to ask, are you familiar with the phrase elevated horror? Uh, not really. Okay. Well. <laughs> Moving on. No. <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about it at the end. Okay. Because uh, I, I want to address the phrase elevated horror because it is a phrase that is widely discussed amongst uh, idiots on the internet like us. Mm. And so I figured we should we should take a stab at it as well. Yeah, I'm game for that. All right. And uh, anything else, John, do we need to tell the people? Do you want to say to the people? Do we want to ask the people before we begin summarizing and spoilerizing this movie? I can't think of anything that uh, at the moment, no. Very good. All right. So turn this off if you don't want spoilers and then turn it back on as soon as you do. Now you want spoilers and here we go. The movie opens in a horrible hospital room. It, I don't know what's going on with the lights, but it sucks in there. Also, everything's covered in blood. Also, as part of things that are covered in blood, we meet Maud who is covered in blood. Uh, she is obviously in a state of emotional distress. She is slumped down in the corner, and across the room from her on a hospital dead is a bloody, crushed body or something. And all of a sudden we see a enormous, horrific cockroach crawling across the ceiling towards her, and she looks up at it and opening sequence over <laughs> that's right giant title transition yep and then it moves into we see uh red fluid bubbling grotesquely and then we find out that that is a close-up on a, a tomato soup being cooked neat a delightful tomato soup yeah perhaps a, perhaps yep. a bisque Perhaps a bisque, yeah, you never know. It might not be Campbell's. Uh, it might not just be Campbell's tomato soup. It could be some sort of British variation. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, we get... Uh, so this is this is a little bit of keep away. Like, we saw that opening sequence, but we weren't given any indication of what it meant. We're just, we get a... A uh, feeling of dread and an implication that something went terribly, terribly wrong. Right. Uh, also, there's a bug. <laughs> yes, a large bug that just happens to be named Nancy. Yeah, Nancy the bug. What else could she possibly be? Um, after the tomato soup, we're treated to the fact that uh, that Maud lives in just the worst apartment I've ever actually seen. Pretty um, much squalor, yeah. 
Yeah, it is. It is. I think calling it a studio is too much of a stretch because it's it's basically a cell. It's a cell that you pay for. Yeah, it's just a just a block of ugliness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's about enough room for a a chest of drawers, a bed, a tiny tiny kitchenette, and and a window, and and that's it. And so that's where she lives. You can hear people arguing through the walls or perhaps from the street. It's noisy. It's it's claustrophobic. It's unpleasant. And Maud seems to be doing just fine. Uh, we are then treated to her. She prays to God, and we're getting this as a voiceover to her daily activities. She prays to God like a like a like a video blog, basically. Like like not just doing like I pray for this and I pray for that, but like a constant running conversation about things in her day, like how how this little thing is going, here's an update on this matter, things like that. But then also like the big ticket items like, you know, full of your love and what do you have in store for me and I hope that you've saved me for something special. Stuff like that. Real neat. And uh, we find out that she's going to her new job. She's going to be doing in-home health care for... Uh, terminally ill people. Great. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> what What could possibly be horrific about uh, being the in-home healthcare nurse for someone that is dying of like stage 11 cancer? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so that's what she's doing. Um, and then like we also were treated to the, the A24 soundtrack. This movie really really blows on the old foghorn lots of times it's uh it's pretty good i actually liked it in this movie sometimes yeah. once once you know that it's a24 and you suspect that that sound is coming at you you're like nah, maybe it's a little weird but it it worked well here it does um so she she makes it all the way to it we find out that it's a lady she's got like spine cancer yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Lymphoma of the spinal cord, I think, stage four. Yeah, fuck that. That's that's horrible. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound uh, good. Yeah, and uh, we find out that this uh, this lady is a dancer or a former dancer. Like she's she's like a super high class celebrity in the upper echelons of niceness, and like a teacher. She wrote books uh, like. The, the body is my palate or some something like that. Um, and she's American. Uh, yeah, she's American, but she's she's for some reason living on uh, the shitty British coast, <laughs> which it's dilapidated estate, which is actually pretty cool. It's it's fucking awesome. And apparently it smelled bad in there. They actually oh. like it's not a set. It's an actual house. And like part of what they shot in was actually an old wet basement that smelled terrible. <laughs> they were always worried that it was going to be the cause of their death while they were shooting in there. Great. Yeah. Um, so she, she makes it to the house. She trades off with the previous nurse that like, I guess is finishing her. I don't know what their shifts are like a month at a time. I don't know. 
But uh, she like she was like, hey, all right, here's this. Here, your room's over there. This is how this works. She's like, what she what she like? Her name is Amanda. The the, the this is Jennifer Ailey's Amanda, and uh, she's like, what's what she like? And the lady says, a bit of a cunt, and then uh, leaves. A cunt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's like, oh, good. Yeah, this is going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, we get uh, we get some of their day-to-day. It's all very business-like, you know, make her some food, help her with her medicine, help her take a bath, mm-hmm. all this stuff. Then some random dude comes over, and um, this is after Maude has started, like, digging through her things. Some random fancy dude came over with some alcohol, and uh, basically, Maud is kicked out of the house for the night so that the dude and, and Amanda can party. And um, so she goes out and it's like Coney Island style boardwalk nonsense. Real, real rundown and not good looking. This is shot in Scarborough, as in, are you going to Scarborough Fair, Scarborough? That one. As in, why in God's name would you go to Scarborough? Scarborough. Yes, yes. And and apparently Rose Glass was specifically looking, we were like, yeah, we want something that looks like like it could be busy, but isn't busy. Like we want it to we want it to look like it's kind of dying. So uh, how about Scarborough? Yes, the British the British idea of a resort town is very strange because everything looks so dilapidated and you know it's like Brighton same deal it's a it's a summer destination and then the rest of the year it's just a freezing rainy nightmare with lots of neon and (laughs) just really down and out (laughs) a very small ferris wheel that no one goes on for 10 months out of the year (laughs) it's like a one-person ferris wheel (laughs) yeah it's it's a it's basically like uh the the um summer festival crew that comes into town but it just stays there and no one likes it it's an entire city inhabited by carnies (laughs) (laughs) what a wonderful place um so she's out she's walking around praying some more to god about stuff being like man this sucks and she's even like i if they would have told me, I would have just stayed in my room and been quiet. That would have sucked less. But uh, while she's doing stuff, she runs into a, a homeless gentleman that's asking for money. People are are saying their abuse to the man as they go by. And she ends up giving him, I don't know, a shilling. I don't know what British money is. A and, <laughs> Yeah. And she says to him, may God never waste your pain. And then he's like, what the fuck did you say? And she was like, and it seems like he's like going to challenge her and get weird at her. But then she's just like, God bless. And he says, oh, God bless you too. And then he's like, oh, it's, a, you know, you know kind of cold outside and stuff. And she just like gets the fuck out of there. <laughs> That's right. You got your farthing, buddy. And she heads back uh, early because... Amanda can't hold her drink like she used to and is like flopping around drunk and 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 doing the pukes and the dude is um not cool with it. He calls her some bad names and Maud's like, "Hey, perhaps you should leave and uh I'll take care of this dying person," which is exactly what then happens. That's right. But maybe you should just leave so I can take care of this vomit fountain. 
Yeah, just just really, really cleaning the um, the the puke out of the carpet. Although I will say, part of it was that Amanda literally waited until the instant that the guy had closed the door to puke. Like she'd just been like maintaining composure the whole time as best she could. So ripped up drunk, but not going to puke until he's out of earshot. And then, yeah. And then she pretty much just let it go. Man, yeah. Right. Right onto the $10,000 rug. Right. A $10,000 Persian rug. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Maude is like, we see Maude scrubbing the vomit out of the rug very dutifully. And, uh, and then she's giving Amanda a bath and, you know, scrubbing her back and they're having their little night night chat uh she's tucking amanda into bed and then the subject of maude's faith and her religion comes up and they talk about that a little bit they talk about amanda and kind of they talk about death and amanda's fear of death um you know her she wonders like what that final moment is going to be like and it's like, I don't know why she's wondering so much because it, it's pretty much around the fucking corner. So, <laughs> well, you know, you don't got much else to look forward to. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Just getting drunk and barfing on the carpet. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, they talk about why, you know, what is Maud doing in this particular town and, you know, so on and so forth. So we get a little bit of kind of a, you know, a little bit about Maud's story, but she doesn't give too much away. And then, um, she talks about how she believes that God speaks to her, that she she basically gets this weird like God is in me. I feel when when he when he communicates with me, I feel him inside of me, and it's this weird orgasmic God vibe that she's giving off. And uh, you know, obviously, you're, you're starting to get you're you're starting to get the uh, impression that Ahmad might be off just a bit, just a, just a tad off the rails her interpretation of her faith is a little intense and kind of part of the fun of the movie is that you know the way it's portrayed it's a movie you don't know these people i mean maybe maybe these things are happening to her you know i mean it's not out of the realm of possibility in a film and and the film plays with that idea um and, but i think you can really i think you kind of form your own opinions by the end of the movie but anyways <laughs> <laughs> But going back to where we are, um, so she's, uh, yeah, so so they're having this discussion, and she's giving off this weird vibe, and Amanda talks about her fear of, like, the final moment in life, and then she she's kind of, like, playing with Maude's cross and all that, so I guess that's what starts it. But anyways, she calls Maude my little savior, <laughs> which sounds, sounds pretty, uh, you know, patronizing, but, you know, it's hard to tell at this point. Yeah. Well, she also she she said that oh that Maud's much prettier than the last one. That's right. Yeah. 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 That's right. You're much prettier than the other girl, the last girl, yeah. or whatever. So yeah, she calls her her little her little savior, and and Maud, you know, we see the as she's walking back into the hallway, we see the light kind of fade. This is kind of like the sim the signal that Maud's about to have a moment, a religious moment, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. So she ends up. Uh, she's she's on her way up the stairs back to her chamber or whatever, and then she has this like God inside of her stairges moment where she completely like has this very intense and and pretty disturbing 
overly sexualized moment where she feels God is, you know, inside of her. Um, yeah. Make of that what you will. Uh, so, yeah. So, so at this point, she's either actually, you know, experiencing some sort of strange, uh, you know, interaction directly with God or she's completely out of her fucking skull. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really good too that that scene with her on the stairs whenever she's basically like orgasming her way up the stairs. There's this like final moment where like the camera is like a little bit focusing on her face where she's like going full O face, but then it just like stretches a little bit further than it's okay for the human face to stretch and then cuts away. It's yeah. fucking amazing. It's a great shot cuz it just it just takes you right out of the realm of possibility. <laughs> Like, yeah, you're like, oh, everything else she did, you're like, okay, well, she could just be imagining all this, whatever. Um, she believes it, but that's, you know, but then when her face stretches to an impossible degree, just for a fraction of a second, and then you're left kind of hanging like, yeah, I just saw that. That was, that was, not, <laughs> that was not normal. <laughs> I guess I have to try to adapt my interpretation of what's happening here. Yeah. So yeah, my my expectations just went back to question mark. Usually we don't we don't think of people, you know, experiencing uh the or, or having the experience of God in a in a way of being portrayed as sheer terror essentially, but that her because her face goes from like it's it's like ecstasy to the point of going beyond ecstasy into something that you can't even really explain. Mm-hmm. You know, which is which is being presented and, and perceived as you're watching it as fucking terrifying. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so she's back in her room. She's she's got a towel on the ground. She's putting dried pieces of corn so that when she kneels down, she's uh, oh, what was it? Self flagellation. She's she's experiencing the the this intensity of pain to kind of focus. I'm assuming her prayer and also to to tying in the this ecstatic sensation with the experience of pain, which is kind of a common way that, you know, people people intensely uh, express their faith or, or explore their faith, I guess you could say. Yeah, it's so. it's very uh um uh like like hints of opus day, but mm-hmm. she is very not like that organized, which we'll get to. Right, she's technically converted to Catholicism, which we we only we learn throughout the story. Um, but obviously, her version of Catholicism is a very personal one. I mean, she's she's such a lonely person that you know she doesn't really have close she well, she doesn't have close bonds with anybody, and so for her to have you know for her to have any kind of a relationship with what she thinks of as God is going to be it's personal for everybody, but for her, it's very, it's, it's very, very idiosyncratic because she's obviously got, you know, to say the least quirks. <laughs> so, yeah. so her interpretation of this with very little input from anybody else or any other source, I should say, is, uh, you know, it, it goes a little awry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they mentioned it earlier whenever, uh, when, when Amanda was like playing with her cross and her little, her little saint icon, mm-hmm. she was like, Oh, who's your saint? And she was like, Mary Magdalene. Amanda's like, I didn't realize that they made medals for Mary Magdalene. And apparently she had to like order her special off of Etsy. <laughs> I got it on Etsy where you can buy anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. So then we see this kind of, you know, we see a few of these kind of uh, montage type, like uh, clip, various clips of things going on, and then you'll have some narration. So it's like Maud, and she's helping Amanda stretch, stretch her muscles as she's laying on the floor, uh, you know, getting her medicine ready, snooping on her as she's going about her day. Uh, we hear this narrated God business going on over that. Uh, then we see her spraying on herself and sniffing Amanda's perfume, just kind of, you know, nibbing through her stuff just to kind of try to get an impression for, you know, I mean, she's, she obviously finds this woman interesting and probably sees her as sophisticated in a way that maybe makes her a little bit jealous, but she's also scared by her. She's intimidated by her. So you see this kind of fascination where she's, you know, looking at her stuff, smelling her stuff. And then she's, throwing out all her booze bottles, um, washing, she, she's washing the dishes, and then she has this dishwashing godgasm. Uh, yeah, is, another one. <laughs> another one. <laughs> <laughs> then there's a knock at the door. She's interrupted by a knock at the door, and it's it's a, um, a lady, a young lady named Carol, who is, she's, she's an African-American lady, I guess, and she's got like, she kind of has like the new wavy goth, Kind of, she's real young, um, kind of like a semi-gothy, new wavy kind of look to her, like a hipster kind of type, the kind mm-hmm. of person that you know Amanda, you know, probably meets and knows in the circles she runs in or ran in. Um, so, anyways, uh, it, it, Carol's off in, you know, hanging out with Amanda, and uh, Maud's in a room and she's listening to Amanda and. Carol, like they're having a good time giggling, you know, like, <laughs> like having fun and you know whatever. And uh, the next morning, uh, Carol leaves, and there's this moment where she kind of pauses at Maud's open door and kind of <laughs> like yeah. side eyes in, you know, it's like, and then she leaves, and uh, <laughs> it's really weird. Maud is of course aware of all this, and then Amanda calls her in, calls Maud in, and they they end up praying together. Um, which of course Maud is leading, but it's this weird, like Maud is having another one of her orgasmic cummy prayer things. And Amanda is going through the same motions with her, he, like moaning and, and, you know, eyes rolled back, head tilted, mouth open, kind of, you see her hand kind of slowly reach over to hold Maud's hand on the couch. And they're having this, this weird, it's, it's like, they're having a very intimate moment that is very almost like it's personal for each of them, but they're, they're sharing it together. They're not really having an intimate moment with each other. They're having an intimate moment in front of each other at the same time or something. I mean, it's, you know, which it just seems like, I mean, I remember thinking at the time, the first time I saw it, I was like, there's no fucking way Amanda is is, is (laughs) like either, either Maud is, is imagining this or, or Amanda is fucking with her. You get the answer for this later, but uh, <laughs> so then we see more, you know, scenes of like medication and, um, you know, she's uh, Maud is in her laying in her bed in her undies, and then we hear old music, and you know, it's just this, this bunch of crap, and then turns out Maud gets this delightful gift from Amanda. It's the the this uh, William Blake book with a bunch of, uh, you know. Uh, photographs of Blake's art and a bunch of his poetry. And of course, you know, if you're not familiar, Blake is, is somebody who, uh, you know, spiritualism and 
and religion religion was very much a part of the the theme of his work and um fucking but, amazing yeah his, his, his art is amazing his his poetry is really good too but his uh yes. it's very it can be very you know scary even when i'm not even sure it's necessarily meant to be but it's very like extremely colorful uh definitely check out his work because it's it has a contemporary look to it but it's it's been a few years uh, yeah <laughs> it, it's great all of his stuff is now um it's uh copyright free so you can like use william blake shit on on all your album covers <laughs> william blake is a total fucking badass like i as soon as i saw it like you see it earlier in the movie his book is right next to uh, uh amanda's books on the bookshelf and like Maud even like touches it and then just looks at amanda's books and then she's getting it as a gift and it's just like, oh, yeah, here we fucking go. Let's do this. Like, it is, that is the perfect book to give to a crazy religious person. Like, <laughs> exactly. It really is. Too mod, too mod from Amanda. She's even drawn, like, fucking angel wings around her name. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, and then the way that, that Maud is looking through the book, it's, she's basically, it's like she's looking at porn. She's yeah. just like each picture just, ooh, ooh. <laughs> she's really into it. In the meantime, Carol just struts in wearing a kimono because, well, kimono. And yeah. uh, and then Carol like whips a bottle of uh, champagne out of the refrigerator, does the jizz pop with the champagne bottle, uh, gets champagne all over her kimono. So she has to take that off. Now she's, you know, uh, like down to like her nighty or negligee or whatever. And uh, we hear Amanda, Carol, come back. And then you get a subtitle, Avant Funk Music Playing. Oh. <laughs> I was like, make a note of that. Yeah. <laughs> soundtrack for more of this. <laughs> I was like, I didn't even know there was such a thing as Avant Funk, but apparently that was amazing. Oh man, I was like, but so specific. <laughs> <laughs> so Mod's eavesdropping on them as they're having their, you know, uh, they're having some sort of, uh, they obviously have some sort of lesbian affair going on. So they're kind of like, they're rolling around on the floor and just, you know, having a good time. So yeah, good for them. Not good for yeah. Mod. Not not so great for Maud. Maud is uh, for someone that spends a long time leering at this happening through a crack in the door. She is quote unquote not into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's it, they don't. It's funny because she doesn't. Rose does not really explore necessarily her feelings too much because she doesn't really need to. I mean, obviously, this girl is she's she's drawn into the human experience, whatever it might be. So if it's, if it's two women having a sexual moment together, she finds it interesting at the very least, if not appealing. Um, mm -hmm. But there's obviously this, this pious side of her, which, you know, her perception of her faith does not allow her to admit that she likes these things. And so it's like this, she's got this struggle going on every minute of every day that she is not handling well at all. No, she's not doing a great job. <laughs> so, so, so just to give some some uh, rose glass movie making context, 
Her first short film, Moths, is about a man and a woman that are actively spying on each other. They're in neighboring apartments, and they are spying on each other through a mutual hole in the wall. So, like, they each have a painting over the hole. So one will take the painting down, and they'll be, like, dancing sexually. Well, not really sexually, but just, like... It, they're, they're both like titillating each other. We never see them in the same room though. So it's this, there's a, a sexual tension built around mutual voyeurism and distance. And then in Stormhouse, it's two people going to absurd lengths in order to conceive a baby. Uh, including like going so far as to bury their head in the dirt and wait for things to grow around their head. It's awesome. Definitely watch Stormhouse. And then Room 55 is a a fancy 1950s lady driving home from somewhere, and she has a, a paper bag full of groceries to cook dinner for her husband, but she's not going to make it home tonight. So she stops at a hotel and it turns out that that hotel is the like lesbian bondage hotel. And uh, then the whole rest of it is like some of that going on. Fascinating. Yes. And so, so all of this, like there's definitely sexual tension between Maud and Amanda, but that's not how Maud is reflecting on what's going on. We're seeing it happen. And we're, we're like, Amanda's definitely seeing it happen. She's like, Ooh, the good nurse is here. And all I have to do is pretend to be like interested in her God business. Um, <laughs> And and part of part of so part of Maud's interest in Amanda, like part of that whole My Little Savior thing, that moment when she she had that orgasmic going up the stairs, and then the the other one in the kitchen. It's all her thinking, like she's praying to God about the fact that obviously God has put Amanda in her path so that she can save Amanda. Like she is achieving a higher purpose. So like now everything that she's doing is working towards that higher purpose of saving Amanda's soul before her demise. And she is just blissing out on it. Then Carol shows up and is being a sexy, sexy sex haver around Amanda. And uh, Maud's not really down for that business. So after, after peeking through on them the night before the next morning as Carol is leaving, um, we even see that that perhaps Carol gets some money from Amanda. So there's a, a implication that perhaps Carol is a sex worker and not just purely a a chum buddy. Um, <laughs> and uh, so so Maud pulls Carol aside before Carol leaves and asks Carol to not hang out with Amanda anymore. So it's it's all very like you know she's going through a personal time and you don't really care about her the way that she needs someone to care about her. She needs to be focusing on important things and not getting quote worked up over some young girl. And um, so after, after an initial like Carol being like, nah, you're being weird. She's like, fine, whatever you say, Maud. And then Maud is like, Oh, cool. And then, you know, Carol leaves and she thinks that everything's going to be uh, great. Um, yeah, she's a little naive when it comes to the reality of interpersonal relationships. Yeah, not great, not great at, at interacting with her fellow humans. Uh, she, she does not know how to read a room. <laughs> yeah, 
And uh, part of that, we, we got that earlier. We skipped over it. Part of whenever she went out on her little like night into town, there's this weird scene where she's in this diner. Mm-hmm. Um, and like she's surrounded. <laughs> it's the worst diner. And instead of windows, they have inward facing mirrors to make the inside of the diner look huger. But it just means that you can see everyone three times. <laughs> It's somehow it's it's a diner that has somehow managed to look damp and dusty at the same time. Yes, and uh, and super crowded. It's like they managed to fit as many circular tables into a small space as possible, and like it's just one person at every table. There's a guy like sitting behind Maud that we see shove his eyeball into his his fake eye into his <laughs> eye socket there at the table, surrounded by people. Um, it, it's just. It's just great. <laughs> um, um, but, uh, and so, so now like Maud is still like in the bliss of doing a good job. She, she goes out, I think to get groceries or something and she runs into joy, AKA Joyce. If you're just listening and not reading the, uh, the credits. Um, and joy calls her Katie instead of Maud. That's Maud right. obviously knows her. And, um, they strike it up. Apparently they both used to be nurses at the same hospital and she's wondering how Maud is doing. And she finds, uh, she finds out that Maud is still working as a nurse and she's surprised and a little bit of alarmed by that. She even asks, like, do, do they know what happened before? And Maud's like, look, I've really got to go. But, but Joy gives her her cell phone number. Anytime you need to talk, you know, you can call me. And it, it, we get we get a sense that this lady not like full blown cares for Maud, but like has a, a sense of like social duty to like check in on the well being of this person because yeah. you know oftentimes nurses are <laughs> those kinds of people. She's a caregiver, um, and she's you know she's she's showing that. So so Maud gets back, things then deteriorate. Carol calls Amanda and and Maud overhears their conversation. She doesn't know for certain, but it really, really sounds like what happened is that Carol told Amanda all of the things that Maud said to her, like asking her not to hang out with her. And then all of a sudden it's like five o'clock and she says that she's ready for bed. And now Maud is getting the silent treatment. From, mm-hmm. from Amanda and all of the the good vibes that she was enjoying for that little section mm-hmm. of the movie they're now like gone and um this this fucking iron stove nonsense that she's been eyeballing the whole time oh wait decided- before that I have to yeah. add this this is a little yeah, something that I that I caught that I'm, I'm so proud of myself for catching because I don't usually notice this shit but uh so she, if you remember, she gives she gives Amanda a bath at you know her nightly bath, and of course there's nothing really said between the two because Amanda's pissed off at her, and yeah. Maud is Maud is feeling kind of you know like she's in trouble. So she, anyway, she's giving her a bath, and then they show the water going down the drain, counterclockwise. Yeah, I didn't catch that it was counterclockwise. So Australia, <laughs> they're in they're in the northern hemisphere. So that's a little, that's a little is, is what we're seeing here is not 
what might actually be happening kind of it's like a just a little subtle message that everything is not kosher like you know now that you've seen that because that has nothing to do with mod you know it doesn't it's just it's just a little shot of the water going down the drain backwards it's like wait a minute everything's fucked up here we're in bizarro world and it's part of part of the foreshadowing because what we're seeing is we are seeing Maud actively developing a personal religious mythology. And, I get and that. yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's interpreting everything around her. All of the mundane things around her are taking on massive personal spiritual significance. So, Which so is, that was one we it's it's crazy because you know, this is this gets right to the heart of the religious experience. I mean, it's you know, anytime somebody starts carping about, oh, I went home last night and I was, you know, eating my Swanson's TV dinner and then Jesus just started speaking to me, everybody's going to be like, oh, oh, well, that's great. That's, wow, guy, guy's fucking nuts, you know, or I don't, know what he was, I don't know if he was drunk or what the hell he was thinking. But but at the same time, well, I mean, what, what who's to say those things don't actually happen? I mean... You know, you, you can believe in this stuff or not believe in this stuff, but it's either it's either real or it isn't. And, you know, if uh, maybe she is experiencing this stuff, maybe it's not in, just in her head. We don't know. That's that. And yeah. it's really played well because it's not a that's not a unique idea in a movie. It's been done a million times. We've talked about movies where it's been done, um, but it's done really well here. You know, I don't feel it doesn't feel cheap to me. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't, and it, it's not. It's not preachy in a religious way, or preachy in an anti-religious way. It doesn't have any specific message about any of that stuff. It's really, really just focused on Maud and her, who she is inside and out, really. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's fantastic because I mean, she's she's who we're sympathizing with. We are we're experiencing the story through Maud's perception. And, mm-hmm. and it's a really, really excellent take on all of that. Like you said, it, it's not coming at it from a judgmental way. It leaves us wondering, you know, from, from the perspective of a viewer, but like, I don't know, it's really good. And, and so, so that drain, that reverse drain is foreshadowing. Even the stairs was foreshadowed. Like there's a moment whenever she first enters in and she looks at that staircase and there's like this little moment of like her recognizing its potential significance. Mm. And then she has it later on. So there's the swirl, the same thing with the stove. She starts she starts paying attention to sources of heat. There's Amanda's cigarette lighter. She's That's true. like the beginning sequence is just basically a montage of Amanda lighting cigarettes while Maud is taking care of her. Just like get out of bath, light a cigarette, go in the other room, light a cigarette, finish your meal, light a cigarette. Really made me want a cigarette, but I have not yet. <laughs> There's even scenes uh, of Maud with a Maud flicking the lighter, like just you know impotently flicking the lighter over and over again as a nervous habit. Yeah, it looks like maybe she stole Amanda's lighter because it is—it's not just a bic, it's not even a Zippo. It is like some 
fancy throwback old school cigarette lighter, like the kind where you have you you don't have a pack of cigarettes, you have a, a metal cigarette case with them like lined up and that little <laughs> flap of metal that holds them all down. It's so funny you say that because I uh I do I have of course returned to smoking, but I roll my own because it's cheaper and it makes me smoke less. Uh, <laughs> but when I bring cigarettes to work, I bring them in this. <laughs> nice. A metal case with a flippy lid. <laughs> nice. That's fucking awesome. That's so classy. See, that's one of the things that I miss about smoking is I miss the, the ritual and I miss like the, uh, the accoutrement. Like I actually bought a fancy old school cigarette case and I tried doing it that way, but I realized I was just taking cigarettes out of my pack of cigarettes, putting them in a cigarette case, and then not having enough cigarettes to get through the day. You're probably talking about that cool flat one with the little yeah. thing that holds. Yeah, those are really cool. I, I I thought about getting one, but I was like, I can't, if I do that, I'm going to have to get like a fucking vest with a watch, and I can't. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. You're gonna you're gonna have to like switch to cravats and. Uh... <laughs> I can still use a fucking monocle. It's just a, it's a whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, so Maud's got all of this, the, these, this personal iconography that she's building over the course of the movie. And part of it is the sources of heat, especially this crazy stove thing. I like, I, it's, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, anyway, so because she's upset, we've also seen up to this point that she obviously cuts herself. There are cuts all over, I think it's her stomach. Mm. And yeah, yeah, she's so she's not just doing self-harm as part of a prayer penance. There's also just like whateverness going on. So she burns herself on the stove, like right on the wrist and... uh, Instantly not happy about it because apparently it leaves a possibly third degree burn. Like her wrist is fucked. It is. It is not good. Yeah, um, it's gross. Yeah, and it gets grosser over the course of the movie. Yeah. Um, so that happens, and then now it is time for Amanda's birthday party, and everyone is going to be there, including uh, like one or two men which we Mm -hmm. don't really get very many of those, especially up to this point in the movie. This is, um, uh, what's, what's the fucking, uh, Bechdel test. This movie passes the Bechdel test in flying colors. Most of the time, no one is talking about men. Yeah. Which is unless they are men. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) It's not about Um, men. Men don't really matter a whole lot in this movie. That's great. Yeah. There, there is a a brief sequence of of male ejaculation later on in the movie, but other than that, it's very uh, about women. It, not about women, but it the, the story revolves around women in this story. It's different it's, from yeah. most of what you get in. in it's, a, it's about it's about women told by a woman, uh, written and conceived by a woman, and and you know it's. Uh, but at the same time, it's not, yeah, it's not a, it's not a feminist movie necessarily. It's just a, a movie that that focuses on a female character that doesn't, you know, rely on men to like get her to walk across the street or, you know, she she can't she 
can't function unless she calls a guy every five minutes or like every other movie you've ever seen <laughs> where yeah. women have no agency and can barely function unless there's a man around. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting. It shouldn't be extraordinary that this movie know, is exactly. this way. But, I know. But it totally is like, it like, is. especially within our genre, there aren't really many movies where it's not about men. Um, so true. good job. Yeah, and, and it, yeah, which reminds me of of like I keep digressing, but um, it, it reminds me of the like you know we talked about having uh, more a more bring more diversity into the, the creators that we talk about, but you know like this this point of view that 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 she gives is is like uh, what was I going to say about it? It's just it's just kind of it's it's just refreshing to see a movie where you know you know like what what women tend to see as frightening oftentimes, you know, are the kinds of things that men don't even think about. Like, you know, if I go to the pool by myself, is some creep going to, you know, we don't, we don't care about that kind of stuff. We care, but I mean, we don't, we don't think about it because it doesn't happen to us. Certainly doesn't happen to me because I'm a fat old white guy, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but what, you know, what does a woman find to be scary or, or horrifying? And, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting to see that when it's not tempered by, you know, like what they, what they're afraid some guy is going to be able to tolerate from them or something. I mean, none of that, that's just not part of this, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, a recent commercial where the company got in trouble. Cause it was like, it's like for Fitbit. I don't think it was Fitbit the brand, but it was something like that. And it was a woman that was going jogging in the middle of the night and she was like jogging down back alleyways and women all over the internet were like, she would not be doing that because that's like, we're all scared. Yeah. It's just, it's just there. But I, I don't know. Part of, part of what I like about this and, and some people would probably criticize it for it is it's, it's a story like the all of the main characters are women it, it's not a story about men but it's also not a story about how it's about women like that's not like called out as the purpose or theme of it it's just part of the the dressing of the movie and i i find that fantastic like it it, it yeah. does a great job it's not trying to be a female movie it's just a movie starring women yeah because when you when you try to make a female movie, you're introducing that, that duality. Like it's a female movie as opposed to all the male movies. This is not a female movie opposed to male movies. It's just a movie with females from a female yeah. point of view. It's not, it's not, it's not about dudes. That's the whole point. You know, it's like, it's like, well, yeah. you could, you know, guys can try and figure out some way to work themselves into it. But in this one, it just doesn't work that way because that's not, it has nothing to do with the story, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah, and when dudes are introduced to this movie, it's always uncomfortable. <laughs> they're all douchebags. <laughs> it's terrible. Not that so, there's a lot anyway, of great folks in this movie, but yeah. No, no one, no one's really a saint. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so, so Amanda is having a birthday party. Everyone's coming over. It's a whole shebang, and and Maude is like relegated to. Uh, like the maid basically so like they're like she has to like 
light the candles, get the lights, things like that. And all of this stuff is going on. And she's like helping people make sure that they have a nice time while all of this is going on. And then, then she, while she's busying about, she hears Amanda talking about the fact, like obviously Carol spilled the beans on their weird conversation. And now Amanda is, um, making fun of Maud to all of her friends talking about how she tried to get Carol to leave her alone all because she wants to like save her soul and like makes fun of Maud's uh, beliefs. And, and then Maud slaps the shit out of Amanda's face to the point that she gets a, a bloody nose and they all like, it's a party. So, you know, they, they all like hustle her out of the house and she is thus fired from being Amanda's caretaker. And that is the halfway point of this movie, is Amanda oh, is that Maude is no longer Amanda's caretaker. It's a great it's a great moment to mark the halfway point. Yeah, she does. She slaps the slaps the crap out of her. Yeah. It's that's rough. a holy slap. There's that old thing where yeah, she's talking shit to her and then they have this kind of weird showdown, and, and uh, Amanda says, am I indecent? And Maude says, no, <laughs> you're lost. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, man, this is not going well. So, <laughs> yeah. So she gets fired, which, yeah, probably, that's probably for the best. Yeah, and, a little uh, bit. <laughs> we get, we, we see Maude, she's now back in her, her hovel, her box, and she's, uh, she's in, she's having like abdominal pain. She's like doubled over in pain. She's giving her like misery, misery prayer. She's just really not doing well. She's deteriorating. She has uh, what I described as goddessitis. Yeah. <laughs> her, her faith has been inflamed. Um, <laughs> she's just, she's not doing great. She's obviously not responding well to the situation. I mean, she, that was not the outcome that she was hoping for. Plus I'm sure she's humiliated after that experience, but, um, yeah. And then we see her. She's at the beach. It's super gloomy. She's got this horribly worried look on her face. She's, she's. You, you hear her voice narrating over, you know, more just kind of mod stuff. I don't even remember specifically what she was talking about. I think it was. <laughs> she's you? praying. She's praying because, like, God's. Um, she's like, why did you? Why? Why did mm -hmm. you make it all fucked up, God? what are you doing if you're if this is part of your purpose it is obscured to me and right. and stuff like that and like she also talks about like if she's how she must appear like such a fool and she was like oh amanda probably saw me as like such a fool like this sucks and all the while she's walking along like the crate like really scenic but dreary scenic shots and it's like she's in like some sort of old fortress or something it's it's crazy but neat looking like i want to go there um and uh yeah yeah she so it, it's a lot of basically she begins doubting god yeah yeah she's uh she's things are kind of starting to tighten up here for her um her options are getting <laughs> getting less and less uh so anyways yeah so she's back at she's back in her apartment she's she's got the bandage off and she's basically picking at the scab on her <laughs> hand on her on her body and it, it's horrendous and obviously it hurts but she just keeps picking away at it and 
you know, it's just, oh, God, it's really nasty. It's <laughs> pussy, and, and there's, like, the bubble in the middle still, and and she she just keeps, like, picking at it along the edges and, I don't know, probably eating what she picks off. Who knows? I kept waiting for that. <laughs> So back at the back at the seawall, Maud sees Amanda. Just happens to catch Amanda in her wheelchair being pushed by her new nurse. Uh, back at the apartment, obviously she's you know this is not something she's happy to see. So back at the apartment, uh, as she's as she finally just peels the disgusting scab all the way off her hand, the this crucifix that she has wrapped in like a blue towel or something just launches itself off of her dresser onto the floor. Or, or, you know, falls. Maybe it just falls. Yeah. <laughs> but it just happens to be the moment that she rips the scab off. So now it's nighttime, and uh, Maud is on the town. She's all gussied up. She's got makeup on. She's drinking. She's in a bar. The bar is play, playing the Jesus Lizard. <laughs> nice little touch. <laughs> I didn't catch that. Nice. <laughs> she, uh, she's just looks very... This weird combination of very out of place and this is not the first time that this has happened. It's yeah. like very awkward and also she's clearly got some knowledge of how these kind of things work. So she sees this guy who looks like what's that? Oh, I was just gonna say it mirrors the uh the scene earlier when she's at that dingy diner because yeah. it's like her alone at a table in a crowded place and it's like you know that thing where the the camera is centered on her and so you're seeing her as the center mm-hmm. of this like crowded place it was it was really good and and yeah, yeah he sees the the dweeby guy yeah she sees this dweeby guy sitting at another table and, and they're making eyes with each other and and uh there's there's really no deliberation it just cuts to her at the very end of a handy in the bathroom with like they're he's standing there kind of looking off you see the back of his head she's kind of semi facing the camera just kind of staring off into the distance and you just see her just <laughs> and you hear the guy like, <laughs> and he says sorry and he says sorry it's the most unsexual like it, it was the it was it was so disgusting it was not alluring in any way no, no, it was, it was the most, like, obligatory tuggy I've ever seen. It's, I, I mean, kudos to that guy, because I don't know how he got into that. But then when she's <laughs> done, she goes and she wipes her hand off on the towel and just walks out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, wow, that happened. That was really awkward. Uh, yeah, she doesn't even table. say anything to him. Nope, just, she's just, I'm done. You're done, we're done, we're done. Yeah, good job. Back to the table, she's watching normal people have fun. Uh, there's a table of young people right next to her. They're having a great time. She's getting completely shit hammered, uh, just drinking away. Finally, there, there's like this weird like interaction with where they're they're laughing about something, and she's trying to like kind of like ingratiate herself into their little scene. <laughs> just don't do that, please. They don't even yeah, really don't. they don't even know you're there. Like just stop. And then she. <laughs> She uh, she she goes to the shitter. She calls Joyce while she's in the shitter, trying to get Joyce to come hang out with her. Joyce is being kind of short with her, you know. Like I don't know exactly what she says, but she obviously just is like shuts that down. We're not hanging out. I don't, did you catch what what actually went down there? So 
so okay so it was like they were saying something nice it was it was niceties and then it was like joy so so mod said something about like yeah i thought it was weird when we ran into each other and then she was like no no no, don't be like that like she it's, it's like joy's being like got upset that she said that and she wanted joy to come out but she couldn't and and then mod was trying to like cushion it with sounding like everything's fine but then later it sounds like maybe she wasn't actually talking to joy because later in the movie when joy's talking to her in her flat um she makes it sound like they didn't talk on the phone and like she was like oh sorry i didn't reply to your message i was just so like bushed that night so oh i i missed that oh that's crazy yeah and then that means she just imagined the whole interaction it's possible like i really i don't know what's going on there it 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 brings into question what is and is not going on in mod's head uh or i could have just read the movie incorrectly yeah yeah i mean any of those work (laughs) yeah but yeah so what we see at least on screen is that she's had this conversation with joy hoping that joy will come out to join her and that's not going to happen so she's disappointed about that um she's really just you know, this this is at the point at which you realize she's pretty much on this this path to nowhere. I mean, she's it, this is not going to end well. Not that anyone thought it was going to end well at any point. No, there's no no question that there's this is kind of like beyond the point of return. So uh, she's sitting back at the table and her her glass uh, has a beer NATO. So we see the the swirly swirly, um, which is her again her sign. You know that she's being she's having like a a, a, a religious moment. Um, she runs into this gigantic bearish dude um, <laughs> who she obviously knows at least or is, you know acquainted with I should say um, and again there's very little uh, very little communication we just pretty much cut to power fucking um, yeah she's on, she's on top of him just just like just going at it you know very unceremoniously it's not sexy it's very mechanical uh it's horrible and uh yeah, lots of wet clapping noises yes yeah, all that uncomfortableness and he's just gross and she's you know she knows she's hating it and she's like starting to have you know one of her mod moments where you know she she what's real and what isn't is starting to blend and she starts having these flashes back to that blue tinged hospital when she worked for the NHS and this person that, you know, apparently not only it's starting to look more and more likely that this person didn't just die in her care. They died it by her hands. Um, it's the way it's starting to look. And as she's seeing this kind of flashing back and forth between that and her riding this creature, she's got her hands on his chest and, you see her hands in the in the blue hospital scene trying to revive somebody with chest compressions, and then it's back to him, and she presses her hands through his chest. <laughs> yeah, crunch inward. Just boom, like just breaks the rib cage right in. And he's yeah. got blood coming out and everything. Of course, this is not actually happening, but this is how she experiences it. So she she freaks the fuck out and then they stop. She stops having sex with him because, you know, her visions. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, she uh, is now he, done with having sex. She's done because you know she's had a moment, and yeah. so then he essentially he rapes her uh, to complete yeah. his, his experience because she says no, and he just does it anyway, and she just lays there and lets him finish, and then he starts musing about how she had this past as a party girl. He remembers her because she used to run around with his buddy, and you know, which is always a good reason to want to have sex with a girl because she's the same girl that ran around with your buddy. Oh anyway, yeah, you gotta gotta get what is that, what is that like the the igloo club or something like that. <laughs> so yeah, uh, so he's done. Uh, what were you gonna say? Yeah. Oh no, it was just like the the rape scene is very very muted and and it appears so minor. It's it's it was very effective because yeah, like he she like gets gets a, off and then he like climbs on top of her and it seems like he's just like gonna hug her and like comfort her because she's obviously having a bad time but then it's like no 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 he's finishing up and she she says no just the one time very quietly and he's like no 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 here just just real quick and uh and then it's just like a close up of her face as she's just waiting for it to be over it's fucking intense, but in a in a very like muted way, it's very unsettling. Yeah, it's not yeah, it's not infused with a ton of drama, but it's probably closer to a lot of what, you know, a lot of women have to experience where you know, it's not it's not always such a such an aggressive situation where some guy is literally forcing himself on her and she's fighting him and screaming no uh, you know i think more often than not it's a situation like this where the guy's he's just being pushy like he he thinks that well we've come this far like he thinks that she owes him something which is absurd and he's not willing to accept that you know a woman is allowed to change her mind at any point <laughs> yeah. so he just he just he just thinks he's obligated to do what he wants so he does and she obviously is you know in a position where she's like, well, all right, I guess that's just what's happening. So she's just kind of laying there. It's intense. It's really intense. Yeah. Um, it's a great example to use if you have a friend that's like, I can't really tell where the, the line is between rape and not rape. Show them this scene of this movie. And if their question is, well, is that rape or isn't it? Inform them. Yes. Yes, it is. Yes. Yes, it is. And then raise your children so that they know the difference, you know, so that you don't. Yeah. Your your son isn't a kid who's, you know, out there taking liberties with women because they weren't clear enough to him. It's like, dude, have some fucking common sense. Have some awareness of situational awareness. But anyways, this guy has none of that. And uh, he, uh, because, what is he, he calls her, her like he calls her like pretty little nursey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's all so, like close up on his mouth while he's like smoking the cigarette. He's like, yeah, that's right. Pretty little nursey. <laughs> so disgusting. He might as well just be dripping with grease. He's so gross. Oh, yeah. So he leaves. Great. Thank God he's gone. And then we, she, or she leaves actually. And then she leaves. Yeah. And then we see this really cool camera shot where she's like walking through this disgusting, grimy tunnel. And the camera's kind of in the, in the, one end of the tunnel and we're watching her come in, but the camp it's twisted at like this crazy angle. So it, it makes you feel on, you know, you feel off balance, even though she's just walking through the damn tunnel. Great shot. She's very drunk. She's very drunk. So it's a, it's a great way of portraying that. Uh, she makes it home. 
And uh, then we we get to her having her mega repentant prayer slash begging God session where she's just like, you know, she feels terrible for what she's done. And she, you know, she's, she's, she's not going to do that anymore. That kind of, that kind of whole, you know, she's regretting what she's just done, obviously. And she wants to bring herself back into the fold or whatever. And so she's, she's having this, this big prayer session that's very intense. And then as, as it kind of starts <laughs> rising up in, in fervor, it, it culminates in this weird panic gasm, barfing slash firework breakdown, illumination, revelation, everything happening at the same time scene. It's it's really heavy. And the big the big like waves of music like bomb. <laughs> like it's just it's just all bombarding her and she is flinging her body around the hole and by hole i mean like 10 square foot flat and and just like having an entire uh induced crazy nonsense trip which you can portray so many ways sure that it could be literally happening she she's having you know in the real world, maybe she's having a guilt fit because she she reverted to her old ways, which she associates with this culmination in something horrible happening that she obviously is either literally responsible for or feels responsible for, same result anyway for her, um, that led to her having this, this conversion and leaving the National Health Service and becoming a nurse and going down this weird devout you know road. And here she is she's just reverted back to her old behavior, which she obviously has some experience with and she's repentant. But you know, now she ends up writhing on the floor, foaming at the mouth. She sees Nancy on the ceiling. um, And then all of a sudden as the fireworks are going off outside her, she's like in a basement apartment kind of, it seems like, because it seems like the window is at ground level. Um, I just get that impression. I don't know, but you can see the glow of the fireworks. You can hear them. And she's on her back, floating up off the floor with her like arms and legs kind of hanging behind her. Great shot. Yeah, and yeah, and it's it's like as all of that music dies off too. So it's this it's this like moment of pure spiritual elation. It's it's wonderful. Like, it, god yeah. damn it, Rose Glass, you're a genius. Yeah, because so as that music strips away, you're just left with that experience. It's like you have to interpret it, however. You're forced to have to deal with that moment without any artifice, really. It's just there for you to, to take in. Um, yeah. Which is great. And then uh, next day, she's, she's cleaning up. Uh, she's, you see her in the shower. She's, she's back to her old self, you know, that we, we've kind of seen her throughout the rest of the movie. She burns her old clothes that she was wearing. That was and, weird. Yeah. yeah, in the sink. And, uh, you know, she's, she's, she's refocused, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, uh, that, that was, I, I was having a hard time with that, but yeah, she, she burns her old, her old things in the sink. One of the things that I like this movie is it's kind of got a, um, it's, it's out of time. Like, you know, it's the modern day because they have smartphones, but other than that, nothing in the movie says modern. Everything in this movie says like, 1962 at the latest 
Yeah, uh, nobody's watching TV. Nobody's, yeah, like maybe the music and, you know, some of the, maybe the clothes that Carol, uh, Amanda's companion wears, uh, that uh, that's about it. I mean, it, then it could be any other time period. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I love it. Um, so, so then now she's praying again. She's, she's had her big mega moment, which by the way, that was the thing that, that, um, uh, mental distress induced euphoria. That was like the thing that clicked with me. I've, I've experienced something akin to that and it was very intense. Yeah, it was very intense. Uh, uh, it's not something that I'm ultra proud of, but it was uh, at a point in my life where a lot of stuff was going on in my in my brain chemistry and in my emotional life, and like seeing it play out like that on the screen was just that was unreal. And and Rose Glass, I don't know if you've gone through that, but that was amazing. Thank you very much for capturing that the way you did. The, and morphic cord. Yeah. The experience of ecstasy, which I have had, uh, I've had ecstatic moments in my life. And I, I, I say that because I know the difference. <laughs> yeah. I've, I mean, I've been elated before. I've been really excited. I've been very happy. I've been happy to the point of tears. I've, I've had all kinds of different expressions of joy, but ecstasy, like actual ecstatic expression it's happened to me a couple times and it's, it's a little scary. I mean, you, yeah, you feel that way. You feel outside of your body watching yourself experience this. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, but there's nothing else like it. You know, it's like this weird form of intense. It's like the perfect melding of pain and joy. It's really weird. I don't know. I can't explain it. So she captured it really well. Yeah, she did a, a great job. That scene specifically was part of like my hesitancy to tackle this whenever we first started. Like I wasn't sure how to talk about it or what I was even comfortable talking about. And and but yeah, like you said, it's 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 a hard thing to capture. Um damn, it's just fucking great that she she managed to get that the way she did. I am forever impressed and and uh grateful honestly to have seen that um well it's, it's a bridge it's a bridge between sorry it's a bridge between like oh, you're the faith and the and the mental illness so it's you know which is particularly in the modern world is a very common perception i mean there's they're you know as 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 powerful as christianity is in this country they're obviously you know the people who create the voice against it are are they feel more comfortable than they've ever felt historically um, and so this this tug back and forth between you know what what some people explain as what they witness or what they experience or what they feel versus what the guy next to them is describing as you're a fucking loon or you're just making it up you know it's just you're it's just, just a fantasy for you because you wish you could experience it there's there you know there's this push and pull because it's like well ultimately you never really know what another person's experience is you know it's it's there and they're allowed to have that experience but sometimes <laughs> the way that people express um you know their existence is, is intimidating or frightening or disturbing even if it's not meant to be and you know maude is the embodiment of that <laughs> form of expression she's like she's like the the walking example of it you know so 
Yeah. It's fucking fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would highly recommend if you're interested, there is a video, uh, uh, the British Film Institute BFI at home. It's a, a video on YouTube called Saint Maud Director Rose Glass in Conversation mm. with uh, Alice Lowe, who is also a, a director, I believe, of horror movies. And <laughs> they they like go into it. And one of the things that they described, which I it never never dawned on me like never clicked in my head they described this movie as like a possession movie like the exorcist but instead of being possessed by a demon or being possessed by the devil saint maude is being possessed by god and i was like fuck that's good <laughs> Damn it. That's, that's very much true i mean it, it is that's exactly how you you could describe it i mean it works perfectly that way yeah. except that it's in this case well i mean i was gonna say you know, when you're possessed by a demon, it's usually portrayed as against your will. I was going to say, in this case, it wasn't against her will, but I don't know. Maybe it is against her will. Maybe it is something that's being subjected onto her that, that she's just accepting it because she thinks of it as God. Maybe it isn't even God at all. Maybe it is a demon. Who fucking knows? It's all very good and interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love this movie. Um uh, so, uh, so, so, so she's had this, this literal, this come to Jesus moment mm -hmm. and, and now she's back. And so part of her penance, this is some more, uh, like Opus Dei-esque nonsense. She, she, like, I don't know if it's like a, a postcard or whatever, but like pictures of the saints, maybe something from William Blake's art. Um, she gets this like little, little Dr. Scholl's insert shape of, paper with the saint's face on it she shoves thumbtacks through it puts that in her shoe pointy tack part facing up and then and then steps down into it and then we just see her walking around town and we can hear the crunchy squish crunchy squish uh, every time she takes a step she's walking on this photo of saints full of thumbtacks digging into her skin her tendons and probably even her bones and it is so she's having this like this 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 pain bliss like penance thing god damn fuck <laughs> jesus that looked, that looked really that was a very visceral moment it was like oh when she stepped out <laughs> yeah yeah it is it is so wow body horror it entered body horror uh at least at this moment and fuck that is so fucking good this movie really like cranks it up a notch around uh like uh that 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 her uh her big like moment with god and then all the way through it's just going all the way so now mod's on a mission we're hearing her prayers she's talking about amanda thinking about Amanda, praying about Amanda. Like now she is fucking obsessed with Amanda and what God wants her to do about Amanda. Let's go. So she, she gets back. She, she saw that one nurse that was her, Amanda's new nurse. And she, I guess has been spying on her. She sees the lady sitting alone on a bench, overlooking the ocean, eating a sad lunch sandwich by herself. So she goes over there, pretends to be someone she's not, and just asks her, like, oh, you're a nurse? Mm -hmm. Oh, I think you're great. Oh, what's that? 
you have a new client? How's she doing? How's her this? And, and so she's basically like spying on Amanda through this new nurse. She finds out like, that this lady's like, hmm, yeah, whatever. You know, I think she's going to die soon. And like that, like, boom, blows up inside Maud's brain. Even though at the very beginning of the movie, Maud was like, I don't think this lady's going to live very much longer. So uh, then she yeah. just leaves. And she's judgmental about it. But with her, she's so pious. She, It's like you see the hypocrisy in her a little bit there. Yeah. Yeah, because this lady is obviously not like super duper godly. She's just like a regular lady. She's just a lady doing her job. Yeah. Yeah. And so then she just gets up and walks away. And that lady's like, oh, oh, okay. I guess I'll just... <laughs> Finish eating my sad sandwich. <laughs> England is so sad. <laughs> yeah. um, and then uh, she prays again. There's more uncertainty. She's she's asking God for guidance. And then God shows up. It's the, the roach appears at the ceiling, climbs all the way down the wall, out from under the bed, across the room. Oh, and and she's she's set up her her chest of drawers is a whole um fucking like shrine mm-hmm. um like with all of these like pictures that she's cut out pasted into there it's great and it it crawls under there and um then it starts talking to her through the shrine and that's that's what you heard at the at the beginning of this podcast that distorted voice that's Morphid Clark Mm-hmm. speaking in welsh and i don't have the script but it's saying all kinds of things it's really crazy but it's giving her guidance like hey you know you gotta do what you gotta do basically and <laughs> but this is the great up. yeah the great embrace is coming and this is her last yeah. test and they're gonna be together and- yeah she's so. gonna get her big reward it's gonna be great <laughs> Just keep the faith and and keep on keeping on. And I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, or you know things like that. Uh, so uh, she's very grateful and thankful, and, and now she's on a mission. And um, uh, she creates herself a set of robes out of her bed sheets. Very sanity thing to do. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's very creative. Nice yeah. done. We see her, she she fills up her, her sink with water, put dunks the water bottle in it, and then is doing little, little, like, making the sign of the cross over the water, blessing it for holy purpose. And she also, <laughs> yeah. Then she's also got all of these bottles of chemicals. She's like, hydrogen peroxide? Mm, I don't think so. Then you see her, she pulls up the bottle of acetone. She's like, yeah, this one. <laughs> Yep, this is the holy shit. <laughs> the Lord's acetone. <laughs> I put, yeah, I put here, I'm feeling really, really good about this. Yeah, what could go wrong? She's just gotta, she's just gotta remove some nail polish from the evil. Yeah, just a lot of nail polish. Yeah. Um, and so around this time, the next day, I guess, Joyce pops by for a visit. She's, it's kind of a weird scene because she's like she's got her nurse get up on and she's uh, she's kind of checking up on Maud. I think she feels, you know, kind of weird about their interaction the other day. And she's obviously knows Maud's history, so she's 
kind of checking up on her. So she comes over to see how she's doing. She realizes that Maud has got, like, she sees the shrine. And she's like, hey, that's lovely. That's just real niceness. I like how you've done this. Like, <laughs> I love that. She's being so nice. Like, oh. <laughs> oh, that stuff, it looks like you're total fucking nut. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> you're totally off your crumpet, ain't you? <laughs> That's great. Maybe if you put one more cross, you might have 50 of them. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you can tell she's just like, oh, coming here was not a good idea. Yeah. She's she's hanging out, trying to be friendly, trying to be supportive of her friend, trying to make amends, you know, at least that's what Maude is seeing. Um, Meantime, uh, Maude is looking out the window thing that's like above her head. So she's looking up out into the sky, essentially. It's really all you can see out this window. Uh, she's looking up in the sky, and the clouds are starting to do the swirly. Yeah. Uh, we know what that means. We, we, that's her single, the signal. And uh, so she's she's watching this happen. Joyce is blathering on. She's not really paying attention to her. And then Maud walks over. Or she's hiding her, her burned hand. She's got her bandaged hand hiding behind her back the whole time. But, so then she goes over, and she gives Joy, like, touches her face. Uh, and gives her a little kiss, blesses her, you know, God blesses you, he, so on and so forth. And then she, like, <laughs> she, like, opens the door. Joy's yeah. like, oh, uh, like, oh, right, I guess it's, yeah. Oh, yeah. look at the time. <laughs> yeah, I need to be getting anyway. <laughs> yeah, very unceremoniously just kicks her out, basically. So she's gone. Nothing's wrong. You know, she's fine. Maud is fine. And, uh, I really like uh, in that scene, uh, like like Joy is apologizing, and then she starts to like explain about like how they could have like the other mm-hmm. nurses could have handled it better once they started seeing the signs that Maud might be in trouble or or something like that. And then during her explanation of what happened, that's when Maud sees the swirl and tunes out, and we lose the ability to hear what joy is saying so it's kept away from us exactly what happens brilliant what is your so what is your perception of what happens do you i my perception is that she like i told you like that someone has obviously died under her care but that that may be more than just that that she was obviously somehow implicated whether through negligence or she may have even intentionally done it i don't know what what how do you read that so I think I don't I don't know if she like caused the the patient to go into cardiac arrest or if the patient actually was in cardiac arrest but what I picked up is that she was doing chest compressions on a patient and crushed their like rib cage in cuz in that opening scene you even see that there's like blood dripping everywhere and there's blood all over her gloves yeah and 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 we saw that flashback during the sex scene of her like thinking that she had like mm-hmm. crushed his chest in. I I think that's what happened. So whether it was maybe that that she just thought the patient was in cardiac arrest or caused the patient to be in cardiac arrest, or even if neither of those are true, just wasn't thinking about the the fragility of the patients, the elderly patients' bones, something like that. She caused the death of this patient through some manner of medical negligence. It's cool that they don't tell you outright. I mean, my mother had open heart surgery, so it occurred to me that it's like, 
well, maybe this person had just had open heart surgery and she's giving yeah. chest compressions on a chest that's like a fucking birdcage with no hinge. So Yeah, it's it, just held together with chicken wire. It's like just a little rack of pretzels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she clearly did not react well, respond well to it, and uh, he, he, he did not get any support from anybody around her either, which obviously didn't help. So yeah, I think mostly Joyce, just fire. Yeah. Joyce obviously feels somewhat guilty for what went down. I think that's kind of the message there. Maude is done, though. She's she's already, she's got her message. She's got her, she's finished with Joy. She's finished with her past. That stuff is all, it, it's either gone or it was just leading her to where she is now. She's got, she's got a mission. So she heads out. She's got, uh, she's got her robes on. She's, she's bed sheet robed again. Uh, we've got the A24 music just. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, in case you're wondering, we're coming to a point. And uh, <laughs> she's, uh, she, you know, she she's just like, yeah, she's ready to rock. So she walks over to Amanda's place. She, she shows up at Amanda's house. It's nighttime, of course. She kind of hangs out. She's kind of hiding off to the side. She waits. The nurse leaves. She waits for the nurse to leave. And then she just strolls right in. Uh, as yeah. soon as she walks in, the light fades again, just like it did earlier, um, which is kind of one of those triggers. Uh, Amanda is in her bed. Maud walks into Amanda's room. Amanda's laying there with her eyes closed. Amanda opens her eyes and looks over and sees her. And they kind of have this moment where they make amends. Amanda apologizes for the way that she treated her. Um, I really get the impression that, that that a lot of that interaction. Well, at first I thought maybe she was imagining that, but I think I think because I think I was like, well, she just walked into her fucking house. I mean, the lady's laying there, but at the same time, the lady's essentially on her deathbed. So for her, it's like. You know, she probably did feel somewhat guilty for the way she treated Maude, because, I mean, to be fair, she was a total bitch to her, even though what yeah. Maude did wasn't cool either. But And even in Maude's uh, exit interview, whenever she's talking to that, like, nurse yeah. practitioner or whatever, the, the lady asked her, uh, she was like, so the lady said concer had concerns even outside of you, like, bitch slapping her. She's worried about your state of being. And and so there is obviously a little bit more care there than just pure anger. Yeah, which is great because we, again, it it, it reminds you that we're on unsteady ground. Our narrator is is Maud. I mean, our yeah. the story is being told to us through Maud. Uh, so you, you just you're just along for the ride. It's like, okay, well, whatever. So they have this moment. Um, Amanda is apologizing to her. Uh, could be happening, may not be happening at all. None of this may be happening. There's some, there's some more, there's some more God talk. Um, and Amanda delivers in just an absolutely devastating line where she says, you, you must be the loneliest girl I've ever seen. <laughs> and then as if that's not enough, she just starts to dig in with the, you know he isn't real, and, and and just that whole, just completely discounts this girl's entire reason to exist. And this girl's already falls deep in this whole, you know, mythology that she's built for herself. That's the last thing she wants or needs to hear, to be honest. 
because she obviously cares a lot for Amanda and and she wanted she really hoped as you had mentioned that she was going to be able to bring Amanda around well that clearly didn't happen it's never going to happen so yeah then Amanda lays the I faked the godgasm bit on her yeah so that whole thing was like I didn't really feel that you know and it's like that's just cruel and then she she really kind of digs into that you know she really hones in and in the meantime Maud busts out the holy water bottle and like takes out some of the water and puts it on Amanda's face, like touches her face. And Amanda reacts as if it's burning her. But also, you know, you could interpret that as she's just pissed off that this girl's doing this. Like, get your fucking fingers off my face. It's, but you, you, can, you can hear it sizzle just yeah, a little. Sizzle. And now yeah. you're like, what is about to happen? <laughs> And she, then, she tells her it's uh, it, the, I think the quote is get a grip, honey, something like yeah, that. Right. She's like getting really, really dismissive. And then it's like full on with the holy water. And uh, oh, guess what? Amanda is the devil. Like she yeah. turns, she turns into like a very, very disturbing uh, portrayal of the devil. Like very just wider than usual eyes the mouth you know like the whole thing is just it's like subtle but but intense and very yeah. effective she's and, got like uh, the same face distortion that Maud had when she was having her like little happy moments at the scene yeah but, but then she's also like hunched over and just a little bit less human looking and and yeah not getting out of bed yet somehow just a little bit more mobile and energy filled and oh it's great arachnidy crawling on the bed a little bit but not over the top slight scarring maybe that you can see from the holy water but again she doesn't look like you know a bucket of latex like it's very well done and disturbing as shit and oh fuck yeah modest uh modest (laughs) not having it so she grabs some scissors and just fucking like maligns her with them. Just step, 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 like really fast. It's really rough. And Amanda's like eh, screaming or whatever. And then she just jabs them into her neck. And, you know, it's, it's just a very ugly, very violent and visceral death. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was basically, like, I had to take a breath after that. <laughs> She basically perforates Amanda from like the left shoulder to the right armpit. It is intense. And even those scissors are like part were a foreshadowed. Like she was using that same pair of scissors earlier whenever she was like, I forget what, doing some nonsense. And so like you the camera even like lingered on those scissors because it was like imprinting itself onto Maud as an important relic. Fucking that, great. That's quality right there. Yeah. yeah. It's a very violent scene. It's it's very intense. Uh, Amanda's dead, so she's killed her, and it's it's fucking hardcore. And yeah, uh, she's we, just like laying there with the scissors sticking out of her neck. Out of her neck, yeah, yeah. rough. She, you know, she's she's dying of cancer. She's obviously going through chemo and stuff, so her hair's all falling out. You know, she doesn't have her head scarf on, so she looks rough. Yeah. <laughs> so Maud leaves. Uh, we see Maud walking away from the house covered in blood like a slow motion shot it's uh just a continuation of the murder itself she gets back to her place she's kind of looking in the mirror washing herself off she's obviously in la la land at this point 
Um, she, go, <laughs> she goes to bed. Uh, next day, she gets up and she all of a sudden, you know, the camera kind of changes the, the angle. We see that she's standing there and she has this big glowing pair of wings, <laughs> angel wings that she's just like checking, kind of checking them out like, hmm, hey. <laughs> yeah. Like, look at that. <laughs> it looks super fake, but it's also like really effective. Like she's got like they're they're just like glowing energy light wings, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and, and they but they move with her. So she like tries to like turn around to see them better, but they're just you know stuck to her back. And she's like, oh, all right. I guess this is where I'm at now. I'm an angel, of course, because I just killed the devil. I <laughs> did it. <laughs> she gets all robed up. Uh, she gets a. Uh, gets her bag of crap. We see her heading off to the beach. Uh, it's another gloomy British beach day. And she's all robed up. She's got that, that look of just pure focus, just glossy <laughs> eyes, just staring kind of off up and out into the distance. She, she sees the swirl. She heads out to the, where the swirl is in the beach. And she, she gets down there under it. And, she she pulls out out of her bag this big bottle of is it acetone? It's acetone, the acetone oh. from earlier. Why do, I don't know why she has like four gallons of acetone, but she does, and probably got it from her nursing or whatever. It doesn't matter. So so she pulls this big bottle out and she's pouring it over her head. Well, she's already dressed in robes, so she's probably caught some attention. Now she's pouring some sort of liquid over her head. I think we all know that's the international symbol for self-immolation coming. So. Yeah, and there, there's tons of people just strolling one by one all up and down the beach while she's doing this. Some of them are starting to look, and then you hear a woman in the, oh my God, somebody needs to stop her. Yeah. <laughs> it's that whole deal, and then so she's she's pouring all the shit out. There's, she's got a whole audience. You know, they're all perfectly spaced. It's Clearly looks like a, it looked to me, it looked like pure fantasy. Like people don't line up like this, but at the same time, this is some sort of a, you know, an intense religious moment. So maybe they're compelled to, you know, again, it's, you're still trapped in this, what is happening or isn't happening. She pulls out the fanciest lighter ever made with little things. Like, I don't know what the hell is going on with that lighter. That was, I guess it's a British lighter. I don't know. Yeah. And she, lights herself and just in pure ecstasy just goes up in flames and all the people fall to their knees and it's super intense and then just as the movie is about to end we get just a moment of seeing her actually on fire in pure agony and then we go to huge credits yep like ah beautiful amazing yeah that that scene like before we get the agony it's it's she's not like in fire she's just in pure brilliant energy and and i love that shot because then it's it it's panned back and we see all of the the people on the beach drop to their knees like in a in a state of like pure god worship and and then and then it like goes quiet like this the sh- screen goes off and it looks like the movie's over and then it's, it's just over. 
Yeah, and then it's just that close-up of her face burning and screaming for half <laughs> And then the movie's over. And then, yeah, <laughs> boom, St. Maud. Hard cut, St. Maud. Oh, my God. Zero denouement just, just fucking punch you. Oh, it's so fucking good. It was fantastic. Yeah. Great ending. She's she's reached her rapturous moment. She's her this is her ascension. This is her, you know, her redemption, her whatever and like all these things. But then just at the last second we get a moment of oh, now she's just set herself on fire on a beach. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So fucking good. Oh, fucking amazing. I I love everything everything about this movie i wouldn't change a single bit i really loved the fine detail work on on mods like spiritual myth building everything involved in that final sequence all of the foreshadowing that left led up to it um uh and, and that question about whether it's actually foreshadowing or just self-fulfilling of prophecy like the whole fact that it's 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 in that between state of is this her fantasy or is this as we would assume with any normal like demon possession horror movie is this a thing that's really happening like i love i love that that disconnection from the certainty in there um i love the fact that she was seeing all of these little bits of of mundane life and and because she was so eager and and needed things to be signs from god she was then interpreting them as signs for god but again maybe they were signs from god or whatever this god was you know like the pit is a god so maybe this roach is also a god maybe not the god it's all fantastic um the the fire the the swirl in the drain became the the sign in the sky very donnie darko-esque mm-hmm. um uh, and and then you know you've got like the the supremely badass William Blake element, which I would argue maybe should make this my rating a six out of five. But I did in fact give Saint Maud a five out of five loathsome things. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. A six out of five. I gave it a six out of five. Yes, <laughs> one for God. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I don't have I don't have the kind of background that you have when it comes to that kind of stuff. I mean, religion had no role really in my life growing up, other than interactions with other people outside of my immediate family. My parents were they didn't go to church. It wasn't something we talked about. It wasn't even a subject that we discussed, which I think is weird. Because, you know, to me, it's something that I've always been interested in, like whether or not I was religious or whatever, it never really mattered. It's always been fascinating to me. I mean, how can you not take an interest in it? My parents are not, you know, my parents are fairly intelligent people. I mean, they're, they're thinking people. So I always thought it was strange that that was maybe they intentionally kept that out and they wanted us to figure it out for ourselves, which is quite possible. Um, I don't think my dad has any interest in any of that stuff anyway, but yeah. It, so for me, it's like, I don't have that kind of, I don't have that background, but at the same time, you, you know, I, I have a lot of appreciation for the story and 
the way that it was done. I mean, it's beautifully shot. It's it's like gloomy, but not necessarily a downer. It's a downer in the sense that you know, obviously, this is a person who's <laughs> can be portrayed as someone who's suffering a tremendous amount. But yes, but who are we to really, you know, like fully understand what what it is that she's experiencing? It's like we're we're given a ticket to witness something that we're really not allowed to be a part of. So we we get to we have a front row seat to something that's so intensely personal and private that you know it's almost like it's not fair that we're seeing this which is an incredible way to present a story um i mean yeah, of course, it's like, I gave, like the intrusion on her privacy almost yeah yeah it's fantastic um yeah. <laughs> so i mean it's you know there's 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 things about it that i think you know like i I mean, I'm a dude, so, you know, obviously I can only relate to a certain level when you're, if you're making a movie where it's like an intense portrayal of a female character, I can only relate to it from a male point of view. Uh, so there's some work that I have to do mentally to be able to bridge that gap, especially if it's a movie that I respect. And so that was the case with me, but none of those things are detractions. Those are just the realities of watching a movie like this. And I mean, I can't, you know, it's like, I can't think of any reason why I wouldn't give it a five too. So I gave it a five as well. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah. I mean, I loved it. I, it's, it's a great movie. I love watching it and I love thinking about it. So, I mean, what else can you, what else do you want from a fucking movie? Really? Yeah. Yeah. So that is, that is a, a 10 out of 10 from us. That's our only our second ever 10 out of 10. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I can, you know, like, it, with any movie, there's always something you could say, like, whatever it is. If you made it, maybe you would have made something, or you would have done something different because you would have made it, you know, whatever. But ultimately, you know, sometimes you have to take a stand with a movie and just say, eh, this movie just hits the buttons, you know? Yeah, so. yeah, and, and this movie totally does. Um, I'm a little sad because we, we aren't able to see it in its original state, Um uh, Rose Glass filmed it in a different, an, an abnormal aspect ratio. She filmed oh, really? it so that there was, it was narrower because she wanted there to be more room above the characters in all of the oh. shots. And so then they had to like cut it down and in some instances uh, uh, digitally add space onto the sides of the scenes in order to make it just fit normal people's screens. I really? think yeah i think that's fucking awesome too i would have liked to have seen it in that narrower and taller uh original aspect ratio but yeah i mean to me this movie is is like like you said like it's there's nothing there's nothing wrong with it i wouldn't i wouldn't change anything it is as close to perfection as a horror movie gets and I am very surprised that we don't hear more about it. We hear, you know, you like a lot of people talk about a lot of movies, but like this one, this one got some chatter when it first came out at, at, um, I don't remember which, uh, film festival it came out of, uh, but it, it got chatter. Then it got chatter whenever it finally came home to came to home video. But then other than that, people don't really talk about it. And I think, I think it's a fucking masterpiece. Like I, blown away by it i was not expecting this movie to be this good whenever i started watching it whenever i heard about it and it's just it's just amazing to me 
It's really, yeah, it's, it's, and it's, it's ridiculous if you consider that this is her first feature. Not that she hasn't had experience making films, but, it, it, you know, if you listen to any director, a feature film is a lot different than a short film. I mean, it's, you know, some of the mechanics are there, but it's a whole different way to tell a story. And she, she does it like, she does it so confidently that you just, you, it's hard to imagine this is her first film. And then yeah. it's like, okay, well, where is she going to go from here? It's going to be interesting to see what she does next for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also the fact that like whoever was funding this, I guess probably like, you know, over in England, they have like more funding for the arts. So yeah, maybe that went into it. But the fact that this wasn't like wrested from her control and turned into a more commercialized thing like the fact that that she was allowed to like go and do this is is great and man she nailed it maybe maybe they tried to and she just like was too much of a badass and she was like no fuck you we're gonna make this movie amazing like it needs to be i don't know but i i fucking love this this is it's a critical success uh i'm sure it didn't make a ton of money at the box office because these kind of movies don't but that's not a reflection of of anything other than mainstream audiences don't always go for movies like this. Critics recognized it, and obviously, uh, if you read a lot of critical reviews, you know that critics don't always get it right, of course. Sometimes the general critical consensus of a film is, you know, you may radically disagree with it and wonder what the fuck they're thinking, but they sometimes they get stuff right. This is the kind of movie that I think works very well uh, as far as the way critics read it. And I think they got it right. Uh, a lot of the critical analysis that I read about this movie, I think was, was pretty, pretty good. Uh, so yes, I think this is a movie that you definitely should check out, especially yeah. if you have any, if there's anything that we've talked about that resonates with you and you haven't seen this for whatever reason, go see the goddamn thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. This, uh, yeah, definitely. Like any anything that we described, if that sounds like something that you would like to see portrayed, go find it. It's it's available on multiple streaming services. One in particular, which you probably already have, if you like ha- not having to pay for shipping from the only place to order things on the internet anymore. Um, and it's just it's just a great piece of work. Even if these things aren't things that you're interested in, it's a great horror movie all on its own. It is a good movie. I I think, yeah, I I think it would be hard. You'd be hard pressed to find people who like movies and who like horror movies that would watch this and say they just hated it. I mean, yeah, I think even even the worst that would happen to a horror movie fan would be that they'd watch this and say, not necessarily my thing, but I still thought it was a good movie. It's, It's definitely worth checking out. Yeah. Unless, of course, they're the kind of people that get angry about the topic of, quote, elevated horror, which um, uh, so so elevated horror is a tag that's getting applied to things also specifically being applied to like a 24 movies of like it's this pushback. Yeah, it's a pushback against horror movies that have a point. And um, there's even a paste article called like men and the end of elevated horror. But there's this all of this nonsense, uh, like if you go to like Reddit and Twitter and places where people talk about horror movies, people are very there's some anti 
elevated horror sentiment because the very word elevated makes it sound like above, you know, like, like movies that whatever are above. And it's interesting because the, that same argument has played out in other arenas like that happened in, um, in the science fiction and fantasy fiction world. There was a whole movement because, uh, basically because a black woman won the award for like best, best fantasy and science fiction novel. Then all of a sudden you had pushback, uh, people like stuffing ballots, like organizing in order to, according to them, not be racist or sexist, but to argue that something doesn't have to have like high, higher thematic concepts to be good. Like that, just pure adventure novels yeah i mean it doesn't but so what yeah that's what that's what kills me about people it's like people have these weird yeah we've talked about this how people frame you know the quality of of movies within whatever whatever walls they decide to erect to try to you know to to try to dog ear this stuff so it's like oh well this movie is elevated horror so it's so somehow that this movie thinks it's better than other horror films. It's like, dude, if you don't like this or it doesn't appeal to you or science, then don't fucking watch it. I mean, there's no shortage of Freddy Krueger films or slashers or dumb, you know. And I'm not saying that those movies aren't any good, but there's just – there's all kinds of movies out there, you, you, you know. So if some – suddenly we're living in an era where life is a little bit serious and – You've got a, a bunch of young directors that are, you know, motivated to make horror films that maybe are a little bit more serious than some of the movies that we've loved in the 90s, particularly in the 80s, you know. Okay, well, that's the way it is right now. I, I'm sure it will change again. And, you know, every movie will be like the sadness or whatever. Like, don't, don't worry about it. Yeah. You know, it, it'll just be some guy with a blood cannon just for two hours, you know. Which is yeah. great. That's great. There's nothing wrong with it. I, you know, if I turn on a horror movie and I immediately am just like, man, this movie sucks, I'll turn it off. I don't care. Yeah. I don't have to get on Reddit and insult anybody who likes it. You know, it's just so weird to me that whole thing. I, I, I mean, I get it and I don't get it. I get it because that's how people are. They clutch their fucking pearls. You know, it's like if they don't understand something, it's because it's bad. Yeah. 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 Uh, so it was. Maybe it is bad. I don't know. Well, sorry. Oh, no. Go ahead. It's, uh, her name is N.K. Jemison. And she. Oh, okay. Yeah. She won the Hugo Award three years in a row, the first person to ever wear the, win the Hugo Award three years in a row. And, and there was pushback about it. There, there is a group that called themselves the Sad Puppies. And their whole thing was that, um, they were sad because like normal, just regular pulpy adventure novels should be considered for awards and not everything be gate kept by what they saw as like the academic elite and things like that. And the, the same argument played out across non-genre fiction where you've got, uh, they tried to brand things as literary fiction as opposed to like James Patterson, which right. It, it, and that same thing is happening in horror now. You have you have like a movie will either play with 
contemplative themes and symbolism and things like that, which you might might push it into the realm of literary, or it could just be a story about a guy with a blade that kills people. And both are fine. Like the same thing is happening in books. It's happening all over the place. There are different levels of academic death, depth that you can read into a thing. And it doesn't, elevate one above the other and it doesn't it doesn't make one lesser than the other but for some reason it it created a rift in the science fiction and fantasy community and it's creating a rift in the in the fiction in the uh in the horror film community where like they're they're talking about how like socially conscious movies are trying to be uppity and better. And I'm sure part of it is that there are fans that are like, oh, well, that's not a very elevated horror film and I won't watch it. Like toxicity it exists on both sides of every coin and oh, it's yeah. all very fucked up. And I wanted to address it because it can go fuck itself. The whole argument can go fuck itself. I can, I mean, you and I have talked many times about how much we uh, appreciate some of the more uh, literary, uh, maybe, uh, you know, intellectually minded horror films. It's not necessarily that they're even better, but it, there's been a shortage of those for a long time. And to, to see an actual movement of sorts where you have a number of directors that seem to be informed by each other's work a little bit, uh, you know, maybe influenced by each other. It's it's refreshing to me. It's not it's not a sign of like uh, you know overly academic stuffiness. For me, it's actually like a release of a sort because you know you can make if you make five hundred slasher films, maybe at some point like around the tenth or eleventh one, it might occur to you that that we're not going anywhere with this, and that's fine. But hey, maybe somebody else isn't into that and they want to do something else that's scary to them. And that's what this is. It's not, it's not better. It's, it's just different, you know? And I don't know why that the it's not better, it's just different line is something that so many people have a hard time with, you know? Like, they, they're just like, oh, I don't like this. The, you know, Midsummer's just so up its own ass or whatever, you know? It's like, yeah, that's fine. But if you're going to go on Reddit and then start insulting everybody who likes the movie and telling them they're just pompous assholes because they can't lighten up in like a like a real movie or whatever. That, I have like no patience for that kind of stuff because it's just like, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and mod definitely fits the the elevated horror, I guess, from from your description. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it it has themes that it's playing with. It has you know subtlety and nuance, and it's not just like. A, a it's not a stereotypical horror movie which a lot of people you know want a stereotypical horror movie and if that's what you're looking for it's the wrong movie for you but if it is what you're looking for it's so fucking good jesus it, fuck yeah that's what that's the thing that i guess you it's like you want to be able to explain to these people that are having a hard time with it it's like look this movie fills a gap that i've experienced growing up watching movies so all the movies i saw some of them i loved some of them you know i really enjoyed watching even though they were schlocky or whatever but no movie ever really scratched that particular itch and finally someone comes along and does it and and you know it's going to be 
a great experience just because you've been wanting something like that for so long. And then to see someone actually do it well, like you're just like, ah, like fires on all cylinders. So I understand that it's not going to be for every, you know, I know, you know, like the people I work with, I'm not going to tell them to go watch St. Maud because I already know what's going to happen. You know, what are you, what are you fucking faggot? Like, I, I'm not, <laughs> it's not even worth it. You know, I, I just, I just enjoy that stuff in, in my world where I'm talking to you in a podcast and any moron that's wanting to just drift through and listen to it is welcome to do so. And if they don't like it, then God, go fuck off. I don't really care because, yeah. you know, but the other part of my entire life is about pretending like I don't know those things exist, you know? <laughs> Yes. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and I, 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 a lot of the argument is that now the, uh, now all of a sudden the industry is flooded with these types of horror movies, you know? That's like, fair. Yeah. And, uh, and that article that I mentioned, the paste article, their argument isn't that elevated horror is bad. Their argument is that now it is in such high demand that people are trying to clumsily reproduce that and so now we're ending up with these faux elevated horror films where they're just trying to like do paint by numbers and it's not working that article is specifically talking about the a24 film by alex garland men which oh, i've heard it, yeah yeah that it's it's just kind of a um i haven't seen it yet i don't know but it, it did dampen my enthusiasm to see it I like Alex Garland, and I, I think he has a tendency to kind of get that kind of reaction out of people. Uh, so it's like I'm going to definitely watch it. Uh, yeah. If that's how I respond, I wouldn't be surprised. But uh, I do like that he gets that kind of reaction out of people. So people are like, you know, oh, I think he went too far with this, you know, like he's trying too hard to, to do a certain thing. And I'm like, have you followed Alex Garland at all? Because that's his whole career is that way. I mean, Alex Garland is is like like rides the edge between unbearable and really cool all day yeah. long, you know. Like you know, and you just kind of have to accept him for who he is, and and you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But when it works, it's great. Yeah, at, at least you know you're going to get a a visually enthralling film out of Alex Garland. Like if if you yeah. you watch his work, you know that you're going to like see something impressive that you weren't expecting yeah he's talented he's a talented guy and he's got at least got some interesting ways of you know telling a story doesn't always work but that's fine all right so that is a 10 out of 10 that is our second 10 out of 10 it goes along with uh uh oh oh what's his name bob something bob dead guy what's his name god damn it Oh, you're talking about <laughs> Black Christmas. Yeah, Bob Clark. Bob, Bob Clark's Dead, Black Christmas. <laughs> Bob Dead Guy Clark's Black Christmas. This now sits atop our our best horror films of all time list alongside that. It is uh it is fantastic. I would highly recommend going and watching both of those movies. Also, if you're watching this movie and you feel like, hey, what else should I be watching that feels like this? Try Donnie Darko or, I don't know, maybe uh, uh, Carrie? It's It's got some Carrie yeah. vibes to it. It definitely has some Carrie vibes to it. You know, it's weird that there's like this weird, have you caught on to any of this weird Donnie Darko backlash that's happening right now? I did I, not know there was Donnie Darko backlash. Oh no. I've read some places and like heard some 
podcast people that I listen to that are just like dogging on that movie. And I, I really enjoyed it when I saw it. I saw it a few times. My son is, uh, he's 18. He loves it. I mean, so it's not like it's a generational thing. I, I don't really know. I, I didn't realize that was one of those movies, you know, that where people had mixed feelings about it. I don't know if it's the philosophical thing or. I I recently got a surprise because I made a Donnie Darko reference to a group of my coworkers, mm-hmm. and none of them got it because none of them had seen the movie, and that that surprised me. I thought it was one of those like universally seen films, but apparently it's not. Huh. I guess. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, shows. I mean, I don't. What? What? What the fuck do I know? My I, my go to whenever we have this kind of thing is. Well, the first time I saw Blink-182, which I think I've mentioned before on here, I was like, I was like, oh, these guys are going nowhere. So, what do I <laughs> Yeah, I could, I could see pushback against Donnie Darko. Donnie Darko is one of those movies that people like to watch and then feel really smart about afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like Inception, you know, like people yeah. like to talk about how that's their favorite movie because it makes them feel smart. And I, I could see, movie. like... Yeah, I know. It's so fucking dumb. It looks cool for like a little yeah. bit, but then you're like, all right, now why am I still watching it? Well, I'm speaking of A24 music, yeah. Yeah. Two and a half hours of... Never. Never ends. I can't even hear anybody. Yeah. Yeah, and but I mean, as long as you're not being like that about Donnie Darko, maybe maybe that's part of the pushback is the people that get really like personally goofy about Donnie Darko or something. I don't know. Also, the sequel to that movie, S. Darko, uh, is like a source of pure anger from the director's the the director of the original Donnie Darko like his thing is like no I did not direct that movie no I don't like that movie I hate that movie I will never like that movie I won't even watch that movie fuck that movie fuck you for asking me about that movie that's Donnie Darko director in response to anything about S Darko S Darko I have not seen I rented S Darko from a pizza delivery restaurant slash DVD rental store back in the day Mm. it was because the dvd rental store next door to the pizza place went out of business and they were like oh we'll buy your dvds though (laughs) it was terrible that's crazy yeah (laughs) it was really bad it was so bad (laughs) what's this nards isn't in it right no no one's nards is in it 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 is completely nardless (laughs) at starco nardless yeah nardless at starco whoa okay um let's see anything anything that we should talk about before we talk about how they can get in touch with us and and tell them to go away was there a motherfucking asshole in this movie god was there that's a tough question oh yeah there totally was a motherfucking asshole and he said things like uh pretty little nursey yeah that's who i'm going with yeah yeah the the rape bear (laughs) yeah yeah, the the guy that really likes to have sex with his best mates' exes or whatever. And so so oh, surprise, surprise, surprise! In a in a movie conceived, uh, written, and directed, and starring uh, almost entirely women, the motherfucking asshole is a big dude. Yeah, a big sweaty dude, 
and, and I totally am okay with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, as soon as this mo- movie veers off into guys are around, everything gets worse. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Uh, it's fucking amazing. All right, so uh go out and leave us a rating and review on uh, any podcatcher that you use that does that especially if you want to find us on apple that's a really good one we have two ratings on there we're at a five out of five maybe don't ruin that but just leave us a a cool review about why we're a five out of five and also if you're in sweden please tell your friends about our show because we want to break the, the top 100 of horror yeah. review pod. I think we got as close as 197, I think. Was, was was that the closest we got? I have not been checking that one. Is that chartable or something? I think it's chartable, yeah. We're like yeah. the... And I, I look at the other podcasts, and it's like podcasts that are like, hi, this is my horror podcast. I'm yeah. talk about scary stuff. And I'm like, why is that rating better than ours? <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe we should uh we should review like a few Swedish horror movies. Ooh. Get in with the Swedes. Yeah, Norm Fjordnards. Oh, Florgendorf. <laughs> and, and we just lost our one Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you one Swede. Please get in touch with us folks. And uh, let us know uh, what you think about the show. Let us know what uh, you'd like to hear us talk about. And we will most likely get to it unless we've already covered it or it's a Serbian film. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, You can reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram at LoathsomePod, on Facebook at LoathsomePodcast, or email us at LoathsomeThings at gmail.com. Or you could probably talk to us on the r-horror Reddit, where we interact with people under the handle LoathsomeThings. Mostly just a pure attempt to try to guide people to the podcast. Yeah, which mostly just results in people talking about how they hate woke movies. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, the the theme that I got from interacting with Reddit was no one should care whether or not uh, people of color or females are the director. Don't even think about it. That's not important. The important thing is, what, that it's horror-y? Yeah, that, uh, on its own merit, its own artistic merit. Don't don't muddy the water, my dude. Just I don't know. Keep watching watching Annabelle movies. <laughs> uh, noted. Yeah. <laughs> so go do that. Go find us. Tell us things. Tell us what we got wrong. Tell us what we got right. Tell us what we can do better about next time. Yes. And back in two weeks when we review another movie. We review another movie. Thanks for listening. And uh, as always. (laughs) Sorry, I'm such an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even want to say it. I don't even want to say it this time. May God never waste your pain.